0: Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. Today, you'll hear a message from our pastor, Brad Carrington. We hope that it helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that he has called you to do. There was a verse in the Christmas season that um, stuck out to me, and I, I didn't have time to unpack, and honestly, this isn't even that message. This is just some thoughts that I had, and then we're going to head a different direction. But... Um, You guys remember the story where the angel, you know, Gabriel came and talked to Mary and this young teenage girl that was betrothed. I was going to say engaged. Ironic that we prayed for engaged people, but a betrothal is even, it's like a marriage covenant, but you don't move in and sleep together yet. But but biblically, legally, you are betrothed. You're bound to one another so um, the lord speaks to mary and says man you're gonna give birth to this beautiful baby boy and you're gonna name him salvation and he's gonna be the savior of the world but you don't think about joseph you know joseph is this guy who's engaged to this girl that got knocked up and he's just like well that's not okay because it's unacceptable for a young woman to be carrying somebody else's baby and then marry another dude so joseph was going to break off the betrothal he was going to end the engagement So Matthew chapter one, an angel um, comes to Joseph and says, listen, Joe, I know it's a really weird situation, but another guy didn't impregnate Mary. She's carrying God in her belly. The baby that's coming is God. So stay with her. Matthew chapter one, verse 23, the virgin is gonna conceive and she will bear a son and you're gonna call him Emmanuel which means God with us not God in the church building God with us not God in heaven far away in a cosmic God with us we're going to restore the garden of Eden where God was with Adam and Eve this boy this baby that's coming it will be God with us so then it's our responsibility it's our response to that to learn how to live with god not god distant not god far away that we live with god with us and the thing about learning the presence of god is, is it isn't always easy now if you're wondering and you're like oh snap is he going to do a fourth sermon in a row in the presence of god there's going to be more than four Somebody this week said, can can you even talk about the presence of God for another sermon? I'm like, hold my root beer. (laughs) You can't talk about the presence of God in one 30 minute sermon. You can't talk about the presence of God in 30 years. He's so beautiful. He's so complex. He's always new and yet he's the same. And sometimes I don't even know what I'm after. I just know when it happens. Like Wednesday night, last Wednesday night, the night of worship, I told the team, Hey, we've got to be done by eight it's a school night, you know, so let's just pursue God and then crash land at eight o'clock. You know, mom's got to put kids to bed. And at about seven fifty, it had been good, but let me tell you this. I experienced the most tangible presence of God that I have ever experienced pastoring this church. And then like a dummy at 8.01, I come up here and I'm like, that was good, amen, go home. So by the way, this Wednesday night, mom and dad, if it's 8.01, and the presence of God ushers into the room and you need to get the kids home to bed, you're welcome to slip out, but we're gonna stay here as long as it takes to minister to Jesus. And you have to imagine, it's not a thing we're after, it's a person. Like the presence of God. I'm not after a thing. I'm not after a feeling. I'm after a person. But how do you go after a person that's sitting enthroned in heaven? How do you wrap yourself, your your natural, physical mind, around the king of the universe who is present supernaturally, but yet I feel him somehow naturally? That he crosses from a supernatural dominion into a natural dominion. I remember when I was in Bible college, I I went to Bible school um, in Pensacola, Florida during a revival where God was pouring out his spirit for about five or six years. Millions of people visited the church. Hundreds of thousands of people gave their heart to Jesus. Tens of thousands were baptized. And the manifest presence and glory of God was often tangible. One time, I remember, and this is long before, this is the 90s, long before smoke machines and haze machines, that the presence of God was so thick, 3,000 people, we just began to weep. And most of us were just on our face. And I felt the need that I needed to crawl under the chairs or I was going to die because the glory of God was so strong and profound. But then I also had to peek because I felt like God was standing in the room. And I looked up, and there was a cloud of the glory of God moving around the sanctuary. I saw it with my own physical eyes, but I felt it long before that in my heart. And this messes with me when a supernatural God in an unseen world is suddenly seen and felt. But it also intrigues me, and there's something about it ever since that moment that I feel like this invitation for more. And then I read stories that came up in my Bible reading this week in the book of Acts. The apostle Paul was traveling around the world and he's ministering, and it just just listen to the story. If you don't know this, you know, Paul's a missionary and he's t- telling everybody about Jesus. And Acts chapter 19, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even a handkerchief or an apron, a, a piece of cloth that had touched Paul's skin, they would carry that cloth to somebody who was sick or diseased or demon possessed and they were healed and the evil spirits left them. Just leave that verse up for a minute, Hannah. Because this kind of messes with me for a minute. That the presence of an unseen God is so manifest on a man that is hungry for it that it doesn't just affect him, but it affects his clothing and then you can take that clothing to somebody that is sick or demon-possessed and take this to somebody and lay it on them and they're healed and delivered and set free. We're not talking about, a, I felt a warm, fuzzy feeling in worship. We're talking about healing and deliverance that comes because the anointing was transferred from heaven to earth to clothing to those that needed a touch from God. Amen. <sighs> Yes, it is that feeling you get in your heart. Yes, it is that feeling you get in his presence. But yes, it also can be tangible and transferred to stuff. Like there's so much more to the presence of God that stuff that touches us can then touch other people and bring healing. If we would just learn to host the presence of Jesus, to rest in the presence of Jesus, to not be in a hurry to get into his presence and leave, but to get into his presence and rest, that it would saturate us and saturate our stuff, our clothing, then you would say, well, certainly the apostle Paul was doing something right. Okay. If God had this recorded in the Bible, just to say that the apostle Paul did it and It's amazing that what God did through this one guy 2,000 years ago, we would applaud Paul, we would write books about Paul, we'd have Paul conferences, we'd put Paul on a pedestal, I'd get a Paul t-shirt, I'd listen to the Paul podcast and go, this is amazing that one guy spent so much time in the presence of God that it didn't just transform him, it transformed his clothing and his stuff. But I tend to believe that that's not why God put stuff in the Bible, that it's more of a case study to say, listen up, Uncommon Church. It is entirely possible to live a life so saturated by the presence of God that the glory of God that is unseen will affect the physical world that we see, including your stuff. So that it's more of a case study about a guy that it is also an invitation for us to do the same. Why else would it be in the Bible? just for us to applaud Paul or for us to go, it's possible. It's possible for me to spend so much time in the presence of God that I am transformed and my stuff is transformed. So it is possible to live and to abide in the presence of Jesus that our natural world is just saturated with the glory of God. Let me give you another story that messes with me. It's recorded also in the book of Acts chapter five that Peter and he was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Let me just read you the story. Acts chapter five, verse 14. More than ever, the believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they were carrying out the sick into the street and they would lay the sick on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people gathered around from towns around Jerusalem and they would bring the sick and afflicted, all those that were demon-possessed with unclean spirits, and they were some healed. Oh, the Bible says, all. Peter was so saturated with the presence of God that his own proximity was healing people not even his stuff and if you think about a shadow there, there, there's no substance to a shadow all the shadow does is reveal the f- one that is overshadowing the one standing there so even in Peter's shadow was simply a reflection of God who was overshadowing Peter and touching people and also I, I I personally think it's a bit of a figure of speech that it wasn't just Peter's shadow that was healing people it was simply a figure of speech the proximity to Peter was healing people but Peter was so full of the presence of God that just by the proximity of walking by people were healed and demons were cast down I'm telling you this isn't another story where we put Peter on a pedestal and we listen to the Peter podcast I think it's an invitation for us to soak in the presence of God until our very lives are transformed and we are overshadowed by the presence of Jesus that it touches everybody we walk, we walk near. But here's the funny thing, I'm not after the miracles, I'm after the miracle maker. Does that make sense? I don't, I don't we, we don't need another podcast about how to heal the sick and how to be famous. A lot of people want to make money, I mean, make Jesus famous doing that. I wanna put Jesus on a pedestal. And I want to spend time in His presence and just bow down and worship Him, and be transformed by Him. Could you imagine the the number of healings and miracles, and demons that that are that are cast out if 400 people? Sorry, it was cold today. If 250 people would learn to live a life that is so saturated by the presence of God, that when you're walking through Kroger, people are lining up for you to walk by and pick out your vegetables because they need healing. They're like, hey, it's that guy, it's that uncommon church person. Can y'all line up here? Because they're gonna go get a banana. (laughs) They just wanna be in proximity to Jesus. And since Jesus is enthroned on the earth, they're just gonna get close to you. I don't think it's a story in the Bible about Paul and Peter to make them famous. I think it's an invitation for us to go and do likewise. It just messes with me because so few people have tapped into that level of presence. So few people have understood. King David did it. This is before Jesus. King David understood the significance, the importance of the presence of God, and it It it, it really intrigues me that David had such a hunger for the presence of God before the Holy Spirit was poured out on the earth. See, for those of you that might be new to Jesus stuff, the baby came, Emmanuel, God with us. But then Jesus grew up and he said, I will return to heaven, but don't you worry. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit and he will never leave you. So before the Savior came, before the Holy Spirit was released, there was something about the presence of God that so intrigued King David that the moment he became king, he wanted to put God's presence in the center of Jerusalem and have everybody come and bow down and worship him. Now, for those of you that do know your Bible, um, if you don't know your Bible, listen along, you'll learn something. If you do know your Bible, let me set some things straight for you in case you've gotten them a little bit confused um, in in the the history of how things went. Jewish people are slaves in Egypt, building the pyramids so you can take pictures 4,000 years later. God says, enough is enough. Let my people go. Prince of Egypt movie actually happened. And um, they were supposed to go through the desert of Sinai for about three weeks, learn the character and nature and laws of God, and then enter into a promised land, literally the nation of Israel today, the land of Israel. God was giving that to them 3,000 years ago to be the eternal home of the Jewish people. And Somehow, in the desert, in Sinai, they got a little rebellious against God. I know that it's hard to imagine rebelling against God and His invitation for you. But it ended up taking them a lot longer than a few weeks. While they were in the desert, Moses, the leader, meet with God. God would download instructions. Moses would come down and be like, all right. I know we're all a big family, there were 12 tribes, but um, this tribe, you guys are now the priests and you're gonna lead us in our worship and sacrifice to God, but we need a place to do so. So God says, build a big tent. They were mobile people wandering around the desert. So build a big tent and then we're gonna build this golden box and then the, the presence of God is gonna come from heaven and live in this box. And the people were like, okay. And they did it. They built the tent called the tabernacle. They built the box and the glory of God came and rested in that box. And they would take the presence of God wherever they went around. After years of learning and doing it wrong and finally getting it right, They go into the land of Israel. They take the land of Israel, most of it. They set up the tabernacle in a place called Shiloh. They put the box in the tent and all the people of Israel come to worship there. So this is before the temple, this is before Jerusalem. For 400 years, 369 years, the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant were in Shiloh. The people say you know what this style of life and worship is not working for us we need a king like every other nation now this already happened once before Gideon was a leader and Gideon won this great battle and they were like dude you should be our king and Gideon was like no I, we have a king and his name is Yahweh fast forward they're like we need a king and the Lord's like you don't need a king, I'm your king. And they're like, that's weird to have a supernatural unseen king. We don't want to be uncommon. We want to be common and have a king, like a flesh and blood king. And God says, it's not going to end well. And they're like, we don't care. We're smarter than you. So God's like, you can't fix stupid. Here's King Saul. (laughs) King Saul was a little bit good and mostly bad. And because of King Saul's rebellion, the Philistines, who they should have kicked out of the land of Israel and didn't, hello, the Philistines came, defeated the people of Israel, took the gold box back to the land of the Philistines, and now we have a worship center without the presence of God. I'm Gonna come back to that in a minute. God's presence in the pagan Philistine world causes everybody to get sick and a lot of people to die. And they're like, we got to get rid of that box. We gotta get rid of the presence of God. It doesn't belong here. So they send the presence of God back to the nation of Israel. They put the box in a guy's house. They don't put it back in the tabernacle. They put it in a guy's house. What does King Saul do? He takes down the tabernacle and he moves it to Gibeon. Gibeon is a town about five miles from what, as they were developing Jerusalem. And it was Saul's hometown. He wanted to bring the presence and I'm the king. So I'll bring God to you. He didn't bring God to Gibeon he brought an empty tent so there was a tabernacle which became the center of worship for all the people of Israel without the presence of God in it it was a form of godliness but denied the power and presence of God I think I just described most churches a worship center without the presence of God a form of religion without the relationship with God. Now, King Saul eventually dies. David becomes king. David wasn't royal. David was a shepherd. David, a shepherd in those days, was the lowest form of job, the uneducated, the people that never wore deodorant or took a bath, the people that that didn't know much. So David was a young man that did love God, so he had a slingshot to protect his sheep and a guitar to worship God. So by himself, with the sheep, for we don't know how many years, he killed enemies that would come to take the sheep and he would worship God. He loved the presence of God. So David becomes king. The very first thing he did was tell the people of Israel. He gathered the entire army of Israel, not to go fight a battle, to go get that box. He said, I want to bring the presence of God to Jerusalem because he was developing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And you can keep your Saul tent without the presence of God in Gibeon. I'm gonna build my own tent in my backyard. Remember, it's before the temple. David's son Solomon, when he became king, he was gonna build a, a real temple. So David just set up a tent and he said, we got to go get the presence of God and put it in the center of our lives. I don't care about being king. I don't care about the throne. I don't care about the crown. I don't care about the money. I just need the presence of God in my life. So the very first thing he did was go get that box. It was the most important thing. So you that are engaged, you that are newly married, you that are new to Jesus, the single most important thing you can do in life is put the presence of God at the center of everything you're about to do. The mountain that Jerusalem is built on is called Mount Zion. Eventually, the top of that mountain is where Solomon would put the temple. David built his palace just to the south of that mountaintop, Mount Zion. In David's backyard of the palace, he built a tabernacle and he said, We gotta go get that box. We gotta put the presence of God in the middle of Mount Zion. We can't, I'm not gonna be king for another day apart from the presence of God. I'm not gonna go to college, I'm not gonna start my job, I'm not gonna get married, I'm not gonna have a family, I'm not gonna live my life apart from the presence of God. Which is where you get verses like this, Psalm 84, he says, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, it even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart, and say my flesh, My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. My soul longs, it's fainting, it's panting. And not just my soul, not just my heart, my flesh, my mouth, my hands, my feet are all crying out for your presence. I mean, don't do it as an example, but I'm sure you all did it as kids. You would go to the pool and you'd hold your breath as long as you could and you'd hold yourself on the side and you'd put yourself under, unless you're afraid of the water. You know, a minute, two minutes, you know, you'd have competitions, you know, somebody's turning blue and passing out. And you come back up, and you remember you'd come back up and you'd be like, (gasps) because you held your breath so long. (coughs) I, I yeah, (coughs) sorry. It was fun when you're nine, 49, it's a little harder. That gasp, that desperate pant. Is what should be in our hearts every time we come into worship that we don't come in here like oh we're singing a song No, that it should be like I need to get into the presence of God more than my next breath this was David's cry for the presence of God keep keep reading Psalm 84 verse 4 blessed is uncommon church if you'll learn to dwell in his house dwell in his house means live in his house not visit it once in a while for an hour and 15 minutes dwell in his house Ever singing the praises of God do you know that you're allowed to put on a worship playlist in traffic and sing worship <clears throat> you're allowed to make your car a tabernacle that just moves around DFW and you just worship God you cry out to God verse 5 blessed are those whose strength is in you whose hearts are on the highways to Zion Let's unpack that a little bit. Blessed are those that are making the journey to get to Zion. So you have to remember, Jerusalem is the mountainous part of Israel. It's very rocky, it's difficult terrain. But there's a certain people, there's a remnant of people, that it doesn't matter how difficult the journey, the reward is the presence of God. And David is saying, blessed are those that get on the highway through the difficult places, because they know their destination is Mount Zion. It is worth it to take a trip on the highway to Mount Zion if in the end the reward when you arrive is the presence of God. Doesn't matter how hard it is to get there. He's worth it. He's worth it. It's easy to go to Gibeon. It's harder to get to Zion. But the invitation is in his presence in Zion because a day, listen to verse 10. One day in the courts of of the Lord one day in the presence of God is better than a thousand days elsewhere one moment I'm glad I had Wednesday night Wednesday night will not only sustain me those 10 minutes in his glory will sustain me for months but it also makes me hungry for more keep reading David, the brand new king of Israel, the one that now has all the throne and all the money and all the palace, he says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tent of a wicked person. This is a king talking. He says, I could care less about the crown you put on my head and the throne you make me sit on. All I care about is the presence of Jesus. Doesn't matter how much joy you find in life, in work, in hobbies, in money, in success. It all, none of that matters if you have the invitation to be in the presence of Jesus. By the way, I mentioned and remind you, this wasn't something new for David. This started when he was a boy. He said, now that I'm the leader of the nation, you're just gonna do the thing that I've been doing my whole life. We're gonna destroy enemies and get into the presence of God. I've been doing this since I was a shepherd boy. And church, I think that God is doing something new in the body of Christ. I think there is an invitation. I think that most, especially American Christians, are happy to go to an empty tabernacle in Gibeon. Because it's a religious thing to do, It's culturally acceptable. It feels good to be a part of church history. And I'm satisfied with the worship that we give, even though his presence isn't there. But I think that there is a new breed of people that don't mind the difficult place of getting on the journey and going through the hard places on the highway to Zion because they're dancing and shouting as they go up the mountain because they're going to come into the tabernacle of David and learn how to abide in his presence, learn how to minister to the Lord. And they'd rather have those few moments in the presence of God than any other thing, money, or place in the world. This is what we were created for. This is God restoring Adam and Eve to the presence of God. And I talked about this last week. In the Garden of, e- uh, 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 Garden of Eden, He created Adam and Eve, and then God would come, and His presence was literally, physically, on the earth. Adam and Eve sinned against God, separated God from man. But don't forget, the idea, the plan, the original design was Emmanuel, God with us. So Jesus came to restore the presence of God manifest on the earth with the people of God. So by saying yes to this bananas way of living and worshipping, is simply returning you to the original design of what you were created for. You've got to be kidding me that it is noon o'clock. Hold on, you get, you get like that, but then there's about 30% of you that are like, yeah, dude, let's go. Keep going. By the way, if you're a yeah, dude, let's go, you're welcome to stay at this church, but we're only gonna get weirder. So you probably just wanna find, you, you should go to Gibeon. You're gonna, you're gonna love the church of Gibeon. We're pursuing the Tabernacle of David on Mount Zion. Hop up on your feet. Yeah, worship team, let's do something. By the way, I am halfway through my notes, so at least I know what I'm preaching next Sunday. The other half of this message. It's a series. I don't do series. Wow. Hey, after four weeks talking about the presence of God, it is a series. Guess what? It's going to be five weeks. I want to see the glory cloud again. Does that make sense? Because that moment, that hour or two, that worship service that night transformed my life. 30 years later, I'm still talking about it. I've seen other things. I've, you know, God's done other cool things, but I've never seen a cloud of his glory like I did that one night. So here's the thing. It's kind of like Paul's cloths that were healing people and Peter's shadow that was healing people. It's an invitation for me and I'm giving it to you. 30 years ago, I saw a cloud of the glory of God. And I felt the, the, the manifest presence of God in a room. So it now just made me hungry. It's, it's, it's a case study. It's an invitation for more. I don't want religion. I don't want a tabernacle in Gibeon that doesn't have the presence of God. I want to go to the tabernacle of David in Mount Zion where the presence of God rests. I don't want to be successful in ministry or in marriage or in money or in anything apart from the presence of God. As much as I long for my next meal, and by the way, if you're fasting and you didn't catch yesterday's Insta, Facebook, today is a feasting day. The Jewish people do Amen. The Jewish people, (laughs) the Jewish people do not fast on the Sabbath. You can't fast in the presence of the Lord. You have to celebrate. Fasting is hard. Fasting makes you frown. Feasting makes you smile and you can't frown in the presence of Jesus. So I want you to go have a giant lunch, and even an early dinner, and then after sunset, we'll start fasting again. And we'll finish next week. Friday night, we were hosting a conference here this week. And um, Friday night, uh, Pastor Adam McCain is a dear friend and a good pastor over in Cedar Hill. Uh, he was preaching and ministering, and he, he spoke a message on worship that I think was a word for our house. Now, granted, you weren't here Friday night we were hosting a conference for other people but I felt like the word of the Lord about worship specifically to worship was for our our church and then at the end he, he prophetically began to get words for people and pray for people and then all of a sudden he goes where's Pastor Brad and I was in the sound booth at the time so I started to walk down and he could see my shadow moving he goes no no stay right there and immediately he gave a word he said do you remember in Daniel chapter 10 when Daniel prayed and he asked God to to move, and it took 21 days for the answer to come. And the angel of the Lord came to Daniel after 21 days and said, man, I have been working on getting here, but I had to fight the devil to get here. And it took me 21 days for a breakthrough. Pastor Adam said, I feel like after 21 days, there is gonna be a breakthrough for Uncommon Church, where the kingdom of God is gonna come and minister to you. He said, I see the Lord bringing three platters over the house and pouring them out. And the first platter that the Lord pours out over our church is healings. Good place to clap. What Pastor Adam didn't know is that two weeks ago on one of our, you know, the church is open for morning prayer, for for prayer all day. Jan was here worshiping and praying and she sees the Jesus sign, but she's in her, she's looking at two signs. And it's not just a sign that says Jesus, it's two signs. And it says Jesus, and a new sign says Heals. She said, Pastor Brad, we need to build a second sign that says Heals. And every time somebody gets healed, they go to the altar, they write their name of what God healed them, you know, uh, Cancer, you know, bulimia, diabetes, addiction, uh, knee pain, sciatica, and they screw it into that light bulb. And like a good pastor that loves Jan and trusts her, she's an elder in our house. I was like, oh, that's good for you to have that word. Had no intention of building a second son. You think I'm a good pastor? No, no. I blew off one of the most trusted voices in the house. And then Adam says, after 21 days, God's gonna pour out a platter of healing. And the Lord is like, listen to me when I'm talking to you. So we're building a second sign. And there's gonna be healings on healings on healings. Did you notice from Paul's ministry and Peter's ministry that where the work of healing took place, souls were saved and multitudes were added to the church. And then Adam said, I see a second platter and it's wealth. It's hundreds of thousands. He goes, no, millions of dollars being poured into this house for the work of the ministry. And I said, amen. And then he said, and then I see a platter of international influence being poured out on this house. And we, the the leaders, the pastors, we said, yes, Lord, we receive it. We'll build a sign. We're gonna get, we're gonna get, I don't wanna be good at church. I wanna be good at God. Because I think a lot of people are good at church, good at religion, good at pastoring. I just wanna be good at God. I wanna be good at his presence. I know we're like way over time And this is where I don't care if you need to slip out, man, you're welcome to slip out. But I also don't want to rush these moments. I want to just take a few moments and have the team just lead us. And I'd love it if you just close your eyes or go find a place or come down to the altar, kneel, sit, just pour out your heart like David. Just say, Lord, I want to be in your house. I want to be in your presence. We're gonna put some prayer team members, if you need prayer, so we'll do half our prayer team way over there, because if you wanna come down to the front, man, just come see God. We'll put some of our prayer team over here. If there's still pain in your body, sickness in your body, emotional need, if you feel like you've been tormented by demons, you're gonna be set free today. If, if you're not right with Jesus, let me say this. If you got hit by a bus, and you don't know that you go to heaven, you're not right with Jesus. Today is your day to repent of your sin, ask God to forgive you, make Jesus the Lord of your life and begin your pursuit on the highway to Zion. So I want you to go to one of our prayer team that are gonna be over here and just say, hey, I need to get right with Jesus. Can you pray with me? And they're gonna lead you in a prayer to ask the Lord to forgive you of your sin. And then you're gonna screw in a light bulb on the Jesus wall with your initials on it because you gave your heart to Jesus today. Don't leave here separated from God. Don't leave here apart from the family of God. There's room for you at God's table. He's not mad at you. He just wants you to stop sending, stop running, and return to the pursuit of His presence. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.